You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. They're either well-done applications that are actually using the ChatGPT API. There were very few of those initially. Or they are one of these policeware apps. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Sean Gallagher joins us. He's principal researcher with Sophos XOps. We're talking about fleeceware chatbot apps. But first, a word from our sponsor, Know Before. Where would InfoSec professionals be without users making security mistakes? working less than 60 hours per week, perhaps, actually having a weekend every so often. We get it. User behavior can be a challenge. But users can also be an InfoSec professional's greatest asset once properly equipped. What do we mean by that? Well, stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before on that very question. All right, Joe, before we dig into our stories this week, we have a little bit of follow-up here. What's going on? So John wrote in to say, hi, Dave and Joe. I wanted to point out an amazing podcast which relates to your podcast. It's a world-famous psychologist talking about kind of random things with another person. Uh, this week, they were talking about why people get scammed and thought it would be good to share. So the mm-hmm. episode, the the podcast is actually No Stupid Questions. It's part of the Freakonomics podcast. Uh, network. And I'm a big fan of Dubner and Levitt. Yeah. Um, so whenever, uh, you know, they, they put their na- their brand on this, I guess. Uh, but the episode is episode 150. Why do people get scammed? Uh, check it, uh, check it out. I did start listening to it. It's a pretty good episode. Um, I've enjoyed a lot of stuff from Freakonomics in the past, uh, read all their books and, uh, listened to a few of their podcasts. Um, also John would like us to know that, uh, or would like us to pass along to Elliot that, He's caught his wife, a non-tech person, singing the CyberWire theme multiple times, even to the kid. So he's pretty (laughs) sure that's a strong sign of how good it is. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yeah, we're lucky for our... Elliot is uh, one of... uh, Actually, he heads up our audio team. And uh, not only does he do that, but he's uh, an amazingly accomplished musician and he writes all the original music for our shows. So we're very lucky to have him on board and... uh, really upped our game when he joined our team when it came to both uh, audio editing and uh, the tech behind that, but then also having uh, great new theme music. So happy for that. And happy for John and his family for enjoying Elliot's work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great. Well, and of course, we would love to hear from all of you. Uh, You can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. If there's something you'd like us to consider for the show, send us an email. All right, Joe, why don't we jump into our stories this week? Uh, I'm going a little different avenue this week. Uh, I actually came across something on Reddit. Um, mm. So I uh, I guess it's fair to say I lurk in the piano forum on Reddit. On Reddit. 
Really? Uh, yeah, I am uh, an amateur piano player. Uh, I enjoy playing the piano. Can't say that I'm particularly good at it, but I, I hold my own, and I'm one of those folks who plays for my own enjoyment and no one else's. You're right? not a virtuoso <laughs> like I am, right? No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I, I can't play a piano. <laughs> it, uh, but I, it relaxes me, helps clear my head if I'm, you know, if I need to spend some time not thinking about the events of the day or what's going on in the world. I can sit down at the piano and just kind of uh, noodle around for a little while and, and it helps. So uh, I hang out on the piano uh, forum and uh, this uh, post there came across uh, my, uh, my computer and caught my eye. It's titled, Just Ran Into the Most Sophisticated Free Piano Scam I've Ever Seen. Uh, and it says, uh, stay safe out there, everyone. Usually these kinds of scams are pretty flimsy. They cast a wide net and use pressure tactics to try to snare as many people as they can quickly. Usually I spot them immediately, but this one had me going for a while. First, it hmm. oriented from a spoofed Facebook account of a real person with a story that I checked out. I didn't know the person, but an acquaintance of mine does, and that's how we were connected. Story goes, this 80-year-old woman's husband was a pianist. He died about a year ago. And now she's moving into assisted living and getting rid of his grand piano. She doesn't need the money and would rather see the piano go to someone who would appreciate it. Uh, I will just interject here and say that this is not that uncommon a thing these days. Um, right. You know, there are a lot yeah. of grand pianos out there. And people are downsizing. And I frequently uh, frequently see free piano ads and or and I've actually been offered multiple free pianos and have yeah. actually accepted a free piano from a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is yeah. now at my daughter's house where it lives. It's a spinet. It wasn't a, it wasn't a grand or anything, mm -hmm. but it, uh, you know, I, I would, I would expect that if you were an amateur pianist like you, like yourself or someone looking to get into piano, you could probably get a free piano somewhere online fairly easily. Yeah, it's not hard to do. In fact, that's how I got my piano at home. I, I actually have a, a baby grand piano, and uh, it was oh, offered by— Do you have a baby a, grand? I do. It was offered by a family friend, um, nice. and uh, I refer to it—it's it, sort of the condition it came to me in, I refer to as piano as furniture, right. in that it was beautifully refinished, uh, but the insides, the actual instrument part of the piano was in pretty sad shape. It was a you know a typical 100-year-old piano. Right. Um, so I did a lot of work on it. I actually pulled the guts out of it. I put digital guts inside of it. And so ah. now it's I call it my digital hybrid piano. But I see. That's a story for another day. Yes. <laughs> so continuing on with this Reddit story here, uh, it says, uh, people supposedly giving away expensive items is always a red flag. But people do give away pianos sometimes, and this is exactly the kind of situation where they would. Right. Uh, he says, I got a free euphonium a while back in a similar situation, and a friend got a harpsichord this way. And again, the person they're spoofing is real. And I did some Googling and found a matching obituary. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So what says, is euphonium? So, uh, euphonium, um, it's kind of like a, a smaller version of a tuba. Kind okay. of a... Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. it's a big brass instrument, okay. uh, but not as big as a tuba. Uh, he says, so I email her and uh, it takes a few days to get back. And she said she's had several interested people and wants to know more about me. So we go back and forth a bit until she says I can have it. All of the emails are well written and even had that old person touch of being too formal and letter-like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. Uh, he says, absolutely no time pressure tactics that are typical for these scams. So, you know, so far, so good, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. It says, but then, of course, 
The ruse breaks down because at some point they have to get me to send money somewhere without actually delivering a piano. It's the usual situation for these scams. The piano is already in storage with a moving company, Mm -hmm. so I just need to pay them and they'll deliver it. And of course, the company doesn't have a website and there's just an email address to contact. Now, there are some sketchy moving companies that are basically just a couple of guys with a truck and their business professionalism is lacking, so I proceed cautiously while hoping it might still be legit. But they want me to send them money via bank transfer or various apps with no buyer protection. Mm-hmm. Now I'm 99.9% sure it's a scam, but just on the off chance that they're really clueless, I ask if I can pay via PayPal or if I can hire my own movers to come get it out of storage. To my surprise, they say they can accept PayPal or they can transfer it to FedEx and even send me a shipping label with a price quote. But they insist on using the send money to friends and family option to avoid fees, Hmm. which you might not know is not eligible for buyer protection. Hmm. And anyone can make a shipping label for FedEx without actually having an item. So yeah, 100% scam now. I see. They go on to say, I was genuinely surprised they would go through so much effort and invest so much time in me and even reveal a bank account number for me to send money to. I had a fun morning of reporting scammer accounts. Good. So what do you make of this, Joe? Oh, this is obviously uh, somebody trying to get money for nothing. It's, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, my, I do like the uh, the idea. Or the I don't like the idea. I will say that the when they say, yeah, you can use PayPal, but you have to use send money with friends to avoid fees. That immediately is a red flag to me. Yeah, uh, there's a number of different reasons that might be a, a red flag, but uh, buyer protection being gone is one of them. Uh-huh. Um, because with PayPal, you can claw that money back. There's more protection than there is with uh, Zelle or Cash App. With Zelle or Cash App, the money is usually just gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is which I think needs change uh, in some way. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the maximum amount you can send with those apps are. I don't really use these apps. Uh, right. I do have a PayPal account. I, I, I think I have a Venmo account or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right, um, right. But, yeah, but it's interesting to me that um, uh, as this author says, how much energy they put into this specific person, how much energy they put into the scam itself uh, to the point of actually having a matching obituary. So the story uh, stands up to a initial level of scrutiny. I wonder and, if they um, I wonder if they found somebody um some because it says he, he the person the poster said they find they found it on Facebook first right so if they've compromised the Facebook account of an older older woman whose husband has passed away then that would all line up I mean that's yeah. almost ready made scam bait right there right the other thing that struck me here is that for example you could go through either on a place like Facebook or a place like Reddit it's not that hard to find piano enthusiasts and so. You know, that's one step toward making your scam more uh, palatable to them. And, and it could be anything. It could be motorcycle enthusiasts. It could be quilting enthusiasts. You know, just by, by targeting a particular group of people, having them practically hand-delivered to you by, by virtue of them being a member of a group like this, Yeah, uh, that makes it much easier for the scammers to do what they're doing. But I'm impressed with the amount of research and time they put into the creating the backstory and then staying engaged with this person, and good for them for uh, 
for not falling for it and and uh, you know, reporting the scam. There were more than one one person. There is more than one person that responded to this ad, though, and a number of people uh, have been targeted by this scam. And everybody got the same set of emails. I guarantee it. Yeah, um, yeah. That's how they uh, you know they they do they do the background work, but they only do it once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we will have a link to that thread over on Reddit if you want to check it out. And of course, uh, as always on Reddit, the comments are both entertaining and horrifying. Right. So, <laughs> so enjoy. Reddit, you find some of the best stuff on Reddit, you find some of the worst stuff on Reddit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The internet giveth and the internet taketh away. Yes. Speaking of taking it away, Joe, why don't you take it away and uh, share your story with us this week? So my story comes from Michael Finney and Renee Corey at KGO in San Francisco. And these are the team at uh, the new 7, 7 on your side out there. Okay. Uh, the story is titled, Wells Fargo Bankers Tell East Bay Customer They're Too Busy to Stop a Wire Scam. Hmm. So here's what happened. This, uh, this Wells Fargo customer, her name is Ann Boras, or Buras, B-O-O-R-A-S. And okay. I don't, if, I, if I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sorry. But uh, she says that she's a, she's a school teacher, so she works uh, in, in academ- academia. Uh, and at the, end of, at the end of the school year, things are very bu- busy for school teachers. They've got to wrap up the year. They've got to finish a lot, of, uh, a lot of grading. They've got to get stuff in, and they have hard deadlines. So they're already taxed. I don't know if she was targeted because she's a school teacher, if that's just coincidence. I would yeah. guess it's probably just coincidence in this case. Okay. But it, I'm sure it didn't help the situation. Uh, but she got a phone call. The phone call uh, on her phone said it was coming from Wells Fargo. The the caller ID had been spoofed. And somebody asked her, are you trying to move $20,000 out of your savings account? And she said, no, I am not. And he said, well, then this is definitely fraud. Let's get moving. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the man on the phone said, you better wire $20,000 over to the bank's fraud department where it would be safe. Uh-huh. And she said, okay, walk me through this, right? So immediately her uh, her amygdala has taken over and she's like, I got to protect the money, got to protect the money. Right. Um, when that was done, he says, you know, there's another wire fraud transfer coming in, uh, in for $5,000. And she says, okay. And he says, wire the $5,000 to us for safekeeping. What this is doing here is he went for the big fish first, right? Um, the the 20, 20 grand. And then he's going to go for smaller increments because he thinks that they're going to get, um, that there's going to be, uh, there's, they're getting as much money out of this person as they can. Right. Um, so he says, here's another $5,000 transfer coming in. Do you have $5,000? You, can you put $5,000 into the fraud department's wire fund for uh, or account for safekeeping? Uh, and she says, sure, sure. And then he says, someone's trying to get 3500 out. And uh, she, I, I think, I don't know what, it's not clear what happened at that point in time. She may have said, I don't, I don't have 3500 in there anymore. I just wired everything to you. Yeah. Um, but she drove to the nearest Wells Fargo branch while the guy was still on the phone with her. Uh, and silently, the, the teller warns her that the thief is actually the guy on the phone. And she has, she says she has tears running down her face because she just sent $25,000 to this guy. And she pleaded with the bank employees to stop the wire transfers. But to her shock, no one would help. Buras says she was told, 
I'm sorry, we're all busy. We're backed up with appointments back to back. You need to go to another branch, but we can't help you here. Wow. Right. Wow. <laughs> right? I, I can't believe the level of, of callousness uh, and, dare I say, rank incompetence on the part of this uh, Wells Fargo branch. This, huh. this is unbelievable. Um, she says she was dumbfounded, uh, and, and this is a great, a great way she says it. She experienced a whole nother level of rage, which I can totally, uh, empathize with here. Yeah. Um, she did manage to make it to another branch, right? And when she got to the other branch, they said, okay, well, we've managed to stop the $5,000 wire transfer, but the $20,000 wire transfer, it's too late. It's gone. Wow. Uh, so when she went to file a claim for it, Wells Fargo denied her claim for reimbursement, saying that she had authorized the transaction. And when they called her to inform her, they said, uh, no, I'm sorry, Wells Fargo will never call you. And she said, well, you just called me. Right? <laughs> yes, they did. So, so sometimes they will call you. Will they not? Oh, uh, brilliant. So the seven on your side reporters said, uh, asked Wells Fargo why bankers said they were too busy instead of trying to stop the fraud. And the bank said, quote, we strive to do all we can to support scam victims. When a customer reports a fallen victim, we take these situations very seriously and provide customer options, including our fraud claim team contact information. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Wells Fargo. That's great. Um, <laughs> note the sarcasm. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm just imagine. I mean, imagine, let's say you, you and I and, and you know, I, I dare to say pretty much everybody listening to this podcast right now. Right. right? We're all in, in the bank. We're at the branch, right? And yeah. somebody comes in and they're in this situation and the teller behind the counter says, ladies and gentlemen, I have a terrible situation here uh, where this woman is in the midst of being scammed. Is it okay with you all if I handle her thing first? Because it's time sensitive. Right. Yeah. We would all say, please. Please. <laughs> yes. or, at or at least one of us would. To, you know, right. I mean, come on. We're, Take my move this person. Right. Move right. this person to the front of the line. Yeah. How could yeah. they do such a thing? Ugh. So, um, the story goes on to talk about a lot of the stuff that that uh, you know goes on with these these scam calls. Uh, you know, there you should not anticipate that a call that says it comes from Wells Fargo is from Wells Fargo. You should right. never uh, act on inbound telephone calls. All these kind of things. Uh, don't be afraid to end communication with the person who contacted you and take time to do the research. Um, those kind of things. It, it, it's 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 the standard scam stuff. But what really, really irritates me about this is that Wells Fargo essentially dropped the ball or turned their back on their customer um, who was in the process of losing $20,000. Yeah. Uh, which, I don't know, I, 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 that seems like a lot of money. That, I would be furious if I lost $20,000. Right. I mean, I mean, that's not even the kind of money I keep in a savings account. Well, you know? but, but also, like, you know, that... The fact that she went to the other branch and they were able to claw back the $5,000. Able to stop the second one. If right, which means, 
in that yeah. time, would they have been able to get the $20,000? And I think they would have been. It, well, there's certainly a chance. There's we don't know for chance. sure. We don't know but, for sure. Yeah. Didn't but, help. But it, yeah, their delay certainly <laughs> didn't help. Right. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, Wells Fargo has been in the news a lot lately for, you know, bad things that they've done. I mean, for years now, there's been multiple stories about yep. uh, the bad treatment of consumers and they've been uh, accounts charged they've with things and all all sorts of things, people's mortgages and this, you know, uh, and this certainly isn't the way to go about rehabilitating your image uh, with the public if this is how you handle somebody in the midst of a fraud. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm, in the story from the folks uh, with the local affiliate there, the ABC News folks, were, um, you know, a lot of times when they get involved, the organization will then go take the extra step and and try to make the person whole. I guess in this case, they didn't do that. Not yet, anyway. This po- uh, as this posted the day before we recorded. Sometimes that okay. takes a week or two. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've sent an email to find out oh. if they do. I'd like to know. Okay. I'd yeah. like to keep up with this. Right. Um, yeah, I sent an email to the to the uh, the the media team there. Right. Um, so you know, if 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 we get an update, uh, well, when we get an update, I'll let you know. Yeah. Well, and hopefully this gets more attention, and if nothing else, people can uh, you know shame Wells Fargo into doing the right thing here. Yeah, they should be doing the right thing. Yeah. I mean, I, it's unconscionable to me. I mean, w- when somebody walks into you, it should be your policy when somebody walks in and you see that they're in the middle of a scam that you drop whatever you're doing and protect the customer. Right. You know, right. protect the existing customer. Mm-hmm. That should be a priority. Right. And if you're a representative from another bank, you may want to reach out to, <laughs> right. to, this, to, to, to this person who's clearly searching for a better place. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be service. staying with uh, <laughs> staying with Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. If Wells Fargo did this to me, I would be out of there like so fast would make their head spin. Yeah, sure. Yeah, justifiably so. All right, interesting story. Uh, and of course, we would love to hear from you. If there's a story you'd like us to cover on the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Rob, who writes Attached is a screenshot of an email my mom received. We were just talking about preparing to repay my student loans and opened a ticket with my provider to get some questions answered. Thankfully, she followed my advice and gave me a quick call before dialing that number. The ticket was opened under my email and not hers, but the timing seemed so strange that even I nearly assumed it was legit. The actual email was sent from a Gmail address, so we knew it was fake. Better than the usual stuff I see. Thanks for the great work you do, Rob. So go ahead and and read the contents of this email, Dave. All right. It says, Hello, this is Adlai Gurma on behalf of the Student Loan Debt Department. We tried to contact you at your home and did not hear back. Your student loans have been marked as eligible for forgiveness under the new 2023 guidelines. Your case number is 76451, and your file will remain open in my system for only one more day. Ah. If you could please give your dedicated eligibility line a call at 888-589-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. We can have this applied immediately. Our office hours are 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Thank you, Adelaide Gurma. Interesting that it's 11 
to 7 Eastern time instead of hmm. 9 to 5 Pacific time. Yeah. I, I don't know why they do that. Um, but I picked this one for a reason. By the way, great voice. But <laughs> I forget, <laughs> I, sometimes, because this one actually I picked for a different reason uh, than it being amusing, but you always yeah. make them great. <laughs> oh, thank but, you. Uh, the reason I picked this is because it highlights a very important point. All too often we say, how could they fall for this, right? How, how could people fall for these scams? How, you, well, you, know, yeah. you and I try not to say that, but uh, yeah. deep in our minds, sometimes that kind of slips forward. This message, most likely by chance, landed in Rob's mom's inbox at just the right time. Uh, mm-hmm. They know payments are about to resume. The, uh, the COVID pandemic uh, repayment pauses are, are coming to an end. Yeah. They know people are calling their loan servicers. Uh, so they're sending these emails out, and they send out millions of them. Some of these recipients are in a process similar to what Rob is in, and they may be less skeptical and call the number. But fortunately, yeah. Rob was not. Rob was uh, very skeptical and realized this was a scam. But it the, the timing on this, I'm sure it seems spooky to him. You right. Know? It's like right. when you're driving down the road and the streetlight goes out. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's that kind. Of, that's that kind of level of spookiness, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> it's even spookier when you're driving down the road and every streetlight you come to goes out. That's ah, a whole different thing. That has not happened to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, has happened. <laughs> our thanks uh, to Rob for sending this in. We do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, again, we would love to hear from you. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. We were talking about making users into an asset for security professionals. Simply put, users want to do the right thing. They're often just lacking the knowledge to do so. That's one of the reasons KnowBefore has released Security Coach, a real-time security coaching tool that takes alerts from your existing security stack and sends immediate coaching to users who've taken risky actions. For example, Imagine a user has visited a high-risk website or tried to open a document containing malware. Existing security tools will likely block that action, but the user might not understand why. Security Coach analyzes these alerts and provides users with relevant security tips via email or Slack, coaching them on why the action they just took was risky. Help users learn from their mistakes and strengthen your organization's security culture with Security Coach. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash security coach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Sean Gallagher. He is principal researcher with Sophos XOps, and we're talking about fleeceware uh, that's targeting chatbot apps. Here's my conversation with Sean Gallagher. My colleagues and I have been keeping a close eye on what we refer to as fleeceware for some time. Uh, fleeceware being applications that are designed primarily to enrich whoever is behind them rather than delivering any actual value to the user. It's a trend we picked up on a few years back uh, with some applications that advertise themselves as things like flashlights and, and things like that that were 
were capabilities that were within the operating systems themselves, or they were free functionality that one could get elsewhere. And they had attached to them these onerous subscription plans. So a user would install one, possibly use it once or twice. uh, And when the free trial ended, they would find themselves uh, racking up a bill from the app store for the platform they were on. If they, if they paid attention to their credit card bill, uh, that went up into the hundreds of dollars per year for apps that they didn't use. So these apps are things that we frequently look out for. We're looking for uh, in the mobile space, what we refer to as potentially unwanted applications. Mm. And uh, I have a couple of colleagues who focus on mobile. Jagadish Chandrai, who is a co-author on this piece, is uh, the one who first started our research on Fleeceware. And we were, we were curious about some of the new AI chat apps that were coming out on the app stores over the past few months as ChatGPT got more public attention. And pretty quickly, we found a number of them that, well, in fact, in this case, the, the particular app that we started our research on, uh, my colleague Andrew Brandt found an ad for it in an online publication in a, in a major uh, national news platform and for the Android version of it and followed it to see what was going on. And then he forwarded it on to us. Wow. And so uh, in most of these applications, uh, we find they're advertising both through uh, traditional advertising channels and low cost, you know, double click type ads, uh, or they're advertising through social media platforms, especially TikTok. I've seen a number of them advertised in TikTok with influencer ads, low cost Sponsored tweets is part of probably sponsored, low-cost sponsored TikTok videos that hype up their capability. And pretty quickly, once you start looking at them, you realize that, well, there's nothing – while they're advertised as free, you cannot do anything with them unless you allow for a free trial to start. And those, those free trials tend to last three days, and once the free trial is over – uh, regardless of whether you've used the application or deleted it, once you've started the free trial, you will then start getting billed for the, the actual default rate for those applications, which on Google is a per month charge, uh, on the play, on the play store is a per month, is a per month charge. And on the Apple app store can be as frequently as a per week charge. Now, how do these apps make it onto Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store? I, I would, I would think that they would want to try to keep these things off for for so their users can have a better experience. They do, and they have to some degree. They've, once we started reporting on these a few years ago, they started changing the policies on what was required of an app, but. What these apps do, what these app developers do, is they hew very closely to the letter of policies, but they they abuse the policy heavily in terms of what they do to implement it. And then the other thing is, is that most apps that go into the App Store, they are only screened for security purposes to make sure they aren't attempting to steal private information, aren't doing anything... That's uh, against policy as far as accessing the rest of the apps on the user's device. So these apps are, quote, safe, unquote, because they don't do anything that violates security policy. 
very rarely do these apps get viewed for what their actual function is. I see. Well, let's dig into the specific apps that you were talking about here. I mean, they're, it seems as though these are sort of piggybacking on to the popularity of chat GPT. Yes, exactly. So, so all of these claimed in some way to be based on chat GPT. Uh, they used misspellings of chat GPT in their, <laughs> their advertised names frequently. So if somebody typoed looking for chat GPT and put in chat GBT or something like that, they would get these as their first returns. They are all claiming to use to be official chat GPT apps. Some of them, they actually are using chat GPT's API, as far as I can tell. Others are using earlier versions of the GPT uh, large language model running on their own servers or are using some other language model to respond or using canned responses to some degree. There were very few of those. Even just using the, the chat GPT API, the ones that we found were using the chat GPT API in initial usage without enrolling in the free trial and saying, yes, I'd like to be in the free trial and yes, I will pay for it uh, when the trial is over. The use of them was very limited in terms of what was returned to the user as far as the text that comes back to them. Uh, in some cases, it was like just one line of text with a, you need to pay to see more. In others, it was, you can only get a certain number of responses per day, three or five responses per day without starting the free trial. And there was lots of advertising popping up and frequent ads to buy the full subscription model uh, that popped up between queries. Also, they all followed other similar techniques that we've seen in Fleeceware and that they would ask right away for you to review the app. Mm. Uh, and before and you've them- had a chance to hate it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and there was also a request for them to track all of the other activities on your phone, all the apps that you're using on your phone, the websites you visit on your phone, wow. uh, things like that, that, that a user, if they're just clicking through, might not pay attention to. So they were, there were all sorts of ways that they were trying to monetize even the least functional use of their apps. And then those things tended to drive people towards starting the free trial. And the free trial runs out very quickly, at which point you're, you're getting billed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Can we walk through together? I mean, let's say I, I'm someone who's interested in chat GPT. I've heard about this thing. I want to check it out. I, you know, I go visit, uh, let's say in my case, Apple's app store, and I do a search for chat GPT. What's likely to come up? Up until recently, there wasn't an official uh, open AI chat GPT app. So when you go into the app store and you type in AI chatbot or something like that, uh, you're most likely to get in the return uh, from the search bar in your dev- on your device or or if you look on in the app store on the, on the Mac itself, uh, you're most likely to get apps that fall into one of two categories. They're either well-done applications that are actually using the APT, uh, chat GPT API, and there were very few of those initially, or they are one of these Fleeceware apps. And 
we didn't. There are some well-established chatbot apps that have been out for some time that don't use the ChatGPT API, and those will those come up as well. Uh, many of those are from AI, other AI companies, but the ones that are offered for free, for the most part, many of them are these uh, these Fleeceware GPT apps. And what about the reviews? You know, lots of times if you're looking for an app, that's a good place to see uh, if it's legit or not. Have, have these folks found a way to game that as well? Uh, they have, and <laughs> there's a, there is a large volume of fake reviews that get put onto these. Some of these, I swear, they use GPT to develop to write. <laughs> I think they use GPT to write a lot of these reviews. Um, okay. But uh, there are so there are num- numerous fake reviews. Many of them, like one or two words, works great, or something like that. And, you know, they're all five stars, or or you know, maximum level reviews. And then buried deep in the reviews are people who actually installed the apps and realized they were crap, and gave it one star or two stars. And you have to really look. You have to you have to look for those reviews specifically to find them. To find people who used them and said this app doesn't work. I paid for this, and then it didn't work. I paid for this and it's still getting charged. The it still keeps interrupting me. Things like that. So, hmm. so you have to be very careful when you look at something uh, in an app store, and you see it's got a lot of stars, a lot of uh, of five star reviews, four star reviews. But there is a distorted view of things. If you look at the the number of reviews of each type, and then you see there are all these one star reviews. It's important to take a look at those. Uh, one of these apps I looked at had uh, an average of three and a half stars, and that was because they had dozens and dozens and dozens of fake five-star reviews, and then everybody who actually used the app had given it a one-star review. Hmm. Well, what are your recommendations then? I mean, for, for folks who want to try to to weave through this and, and actually you know get the legit apps, are, are there any telltale signs here or best practices? Yes. So first of all, you want to look at the in-app purchases side of things in these when you go into the App Store. So on both Play and on the Apple App Store, you have to click through to find out what the in-app purchases are, uh, what the subscription plans are, and understand that once you subscribe to one of these things, it's going to be charging you a certain amount every month. Now, And also remember that OpenAI offers the same capability for free on their website right now. And you can run it as a web app for free. So uh, you just have to register. So that should be taken into account to begin with. The second thing is that you should look at the reviews and really look at how many one-star reviews there are. Read some of the reviews and see if they make any sense. If you install the app and the app has a different name than the app that it's advertised with, that's another sign. Many of these apps... Once you click to install them, they install as something that is named completely different from what was what the name and the advertisement on the App Store was, hmm. and that's 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 a sure sign that somebody has been gaming the system a bit and may have advertised the same app in multiple ways. And then, if you do subscribe, to, if you do start a free trial with something and realize it's not what you want to have, you need to make sure you go in to manage your subscriptions on your platform on the platform you're on and end your subscription so that you do not continue to pay for these things. Yeah. It's, it's so frustrating, you know, because you, you like to think that 
one of the reasons that we have these app stores is to make them a bit of a walled garden. But, uh, you know, these, these folks consistently find ways to game the system. Certainly. And then, you know, on a similar vein, um, there's other research we've been doing recently around fake applications tied to uh, cryptocurrency scams. Those apps have made it into the app stores as well by posing as having other functionality. And one of the things that concerns us about these apps is that a lot of them are essentially web applications wrapped as mobile apps. And so they're heavily dependent upon web content sitting someplace else. So it's just a small matter of switching what's going on in the back end a little bit after the application has passed Apple or Google's review to change what is an innocuous app into something that is potentially a malicious application. All right, Joe, what do you think? I like when Sean comes on. Uh, I like the reminder, the constant reminder that we should all have is the bad guys are looking for opportunities in the news, and the dawn of chat GPT is no different. When that hit the news, that was big talk. Right? Yeah. Everybody was talking about it. Uh, so these fleeceware guys, there's a market for these. They're no different. They see the opportunity, and they say, let's, let's go for it. Um, fleeceware is an easy model. It's all you have to do is build some crap app uh, that that does something and then charge a lot of money for it. Uh, and it it doesn't even have to be technically malicious. I mean, it, the only thing that's malicious about it is their pricing model. Yeah. Uh, and these guys go, hey, why not make uh, some chat GPT fleeceware? And right. they go how they go ahead and do that. Uh, Sophos found an ad in an online publication for a major news platform. That also doesn't surprise me um, Mm. because of the nature of the ad networks that are out there. These guys probably just bought the ad um, on some third-party ad service that then this media company sold some space to through some back-end auctioning. They may not even know. In fact, I guarantee you there's no human anywhere that knows what, what the chain of process was that that ad came into their system. Right. It's just such an automated system now that uh, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't involve people anymore. They all have the same, uh, if not very similar business models. You get three days of free trial and then you begin the monthly or weekly billing cycle. Yeah. They, they stick close to the, the policies of the, of the stores, you know, the, uh, the Apple store or the App Store or in the, the Google Play Store. Uh, so they are technically secure apps, right? Uh, so they can they can get listed. Uh, funny that they go for for typo squatting. And if I was going to do a typo squatting app on this, I'd be Chet GPT. Hey, I'm Chet GPT. Because <laughs> Chet always sounds like some cool, you know, the guy the guy that you didn't like in high school that was way too popular. <laughs> right, right. Who had a really cool car. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Chet sure. GPT. Uh, some of them even went so far as to actually use the chat GPT API, which I think is pretty audacious. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course, once you install them, they immediately go to being nagware, right? Sign up. Hey, review us. Hey, let us track everything. Yeah, sure. That's, that's a good (laughs) idea. I don't think I will. Um, Some of these apps are, are also interfaces to, to web apps, uh, I, that's something I think that's a solvable problem if these uh, if if the app stores would would uh, enforce it. 
you know, the, making sure the content is more moderated. I don't Maybe it isn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking yeah. too out of time. It's hard to do. It's hard to do at scale. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, because if, if, if they're just fishing content or pulling content from the web, from some web service somewhere, then that content can change at any point in time. And it can easily be, be replaced with malicious content. Right. No problem. Right. Uh, some suggestions on what to do. My, my suggestion is always look for the telltale C distribution. Uh, that is lots of five-star reviews and lots of one-star reviews, but very little in between. So that when you're looking at the, you know, the reviews, it may have a, a, a long five and then a long one and kind of look like a C, you know, yeah. the letter C. Yeah. Um, Sean has a great suggestion. He says, check the in-app purchases. And I hadn't ever done this before. So I, figured out how to do this. And on Android, there's a section called About This App where you go and you can see the cost of in-app purchases. And I found one of these fake chat GPT apps and, and its in-app purchases ranged from $7 to $40. Hmm. So that's a pretty big fleecing. Yeah, especially if it's per week. Right, <laughs> yeah, per week or per month, either, either way. Well, yeah. I mean, per month, it would be not much, but... Uh, Another red flag is if an app installs with a different name, that's bad news. And then go to your account and manage your subscriptions. You know, Dave, just this past week, I went to my Amazon account and canceled two subscriptions that I was unaware I had signed up for. Huh. When I signed up for them, I was like, yeah, I remember signing up for that. Forgotten about it. Haven't used it. <laughs> so I canceled like $16 of monthly cost for myself. Okay. It was, you know, I... I, not a big win, but I, I like it. No. Take your lovely wife out to dinner. That's right. After about three <laughs> months, I can do that. There you go. All right. Well, once again, our thanks to Sean Gallagher from Sophos Exops for joining us. Always a pleasure to have him on the show, and uh, we hope he will take the time in the future to join us once again. We want to thank all of you for listening, and of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before. They are experts in helping users do the right thing through new school security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at harborlabs.com and isi.jhu.edu. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like Hacking Humans are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.